As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our weekend review. There's one set of fans who ended the weekend delighted after the six-year trophy drought ended at Man United. The soon-to-be Qatari side looked pretty rowdy as they dispatched the good old boys from Saudi. MLS is back and there was so much great play even if we missed out on the derby in LA. Late goals helped Atlanta protect their house and St. Louis got three points thanks to a man named Klaus. A draw in the Madrid derby looked to end the Spanish title race until Barcelona ended up with egg on their face. Inter's slip helped Napoli extend their lead at the top and Spurs helped Graham Potter creep closer to getting the chop. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who likes to see magpies getting beaten, but please don't report him to any bird conservationists. Is that the word? Taylor Rocco, hello. I, I know words. Figure out what word it is and then don't report me to them. <laughs> Hello, Ryan Bailey. How are you, my friend? I'm doing very well. You've um you've had the 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 Taylor Rockwell double this weekend with team successes. Am I to understand? What do you mean? Because DC United uh, looked like a competent team, and then Manchester United won the League Cup. Yeah, I'll take that. That's the double. Yeah, yeah. T dubs. The T dubs dubs. <laughs> very it good. Was, yeah, League Cup champions. Next cup. Next step. The world. That's how it works. Indeed. I blame the DC success all to me seeing Colleen Mooney at Disneyland um, last week. I think that's fair. I think that's definitely fair. I think it was Graham Ruthven hyping up uh, Christian Benteke the way no one has in a decade. That's what did it for me. (laughs) I'll take the credit. Thank you. There we go. He's also moved off my brother's road now. He no longer owns that house. Fun fact. Anyway. I I would have assumed, given that he is uh, playing football in a different country. It was a rough weekend. It was a good weekend for Graham in that way. A rough weekend for Graham in that his preview that hyped up El Trafico was excellent and then not meant <laughs> yeah. to be. Uh, yeah, joining yeah. us, you just heard him there have a little chuckle at his own expense. Graham Rutherford, hello, Guardian writer about non-existent events extraordinaire. Yeah, it was great that I spent a lot of time previewing El Trafico and also that a lot of people at MLS HQ spent a lot of time arranging that game as the big curtain raiser for the new era of MLS. And then what was what happened? It rained a little bit in LA, I believe. yeah. yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, that's that sunbathing weather in uh, Scotland. No, I think there was actually, I saw some videos around the airport. It looked pretty bad and maybe it wasn't ideal to play. Maybe it was the right decision to postpone a game. I also read that the Rose Bowl is not great for those sort of conditions. So maybe the correct decision after all. Yeah, thanks Al Gore. Anyway, (laughs) yeah, he's the blip. Joining us, a man who is much like the broadcast quality of an MLS game on Apple TV. He's a joy to behold, Joe Lowry, crispy, crispy (laughs) Joe. Hello. I thought I was going to be called 1080p there for a second, and maybe that was going to become a new nickname. I'm not entirely sure. It was great. It was great. Graham tweeted at me like five seconds into the national NYCFC game, which kicked off the season on Saturday, and was like, Josie Lowry must must be dying at this camera quality. And it was so good. It made watching these games, or at least most of them, I, I learned... The camera quality doesn't fix like just ugly stadiums and ugly grass, apparently. So there were still some that, that weren't great. But on the whole, yeah. 
it made my weekend just much more enjoyable, and I'm thankful for that. We've been watching MLS games through a potato for years, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but now, now you get to see them in 1080J. And those, oh, those there it fields is. in all their glory looking is. wonderful in 1080J. <laughs> the one that really got me was uh, Inter-Miami played CF Montreal on Saturday. And that, I think it's called Drive Pink Stadium, which, I mean, come on. I feel like we already kind of know what that's going to no be vowels. before you. I mean, yeah, no vowels. And uh, I think Miami were wearing a light pink and Montreal were wearing like a light gray. And they, it just, it was the kit matchup was horrendous, and the field still looked bad. But on the whole, I don't want to, I don't want to let that overshadow what I actually thought about this Apple coverage, which I thought in general, I know we'll talk about this more in a bit, was genuinely very, very good. Yeah, we should get into that right now. In fact, in fact, I'll say uh, if you want to head out to Patreon.com/slash Total Soccer Show, we'll be discussing plenty of MLS there. Um, maybe we'll even talk about the the Taylor Dubs, the DC United Man United double we had this weekend. I had the Ryan double, which was Wimbledon and Charlotte both losing, which is a uh, pretty uh, part for the course. But Joe, I thought what... you drew at the weekend. I thought you were, did you not draw nil nil. We were drawing until they scored another goal and we lost two one. All oh, right, okay, yeah. maybe I read that wrong then. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Which is unfortunate, uh, Graham. It, it does happen. I spent uh, a full twelve dollars on iFollow to watch a game where we were terrible and lost. Mm. Story. Well, that was Which team mistake. was terrible? I'm just confused. Uh, Wimbledon. Uh, oh, okay. I paid eighty dollars to watch Charlotte be terrible on the season pass <laughs> as well. For the record. <laughs> Anywho, Joe, let's get into the MLS thing. I tuned in for that um, Nashville <laughs> NYCFC game as well, and they uh, saw like exactly thirty past the hour. It had that message saying "Stand by, coverage coming soon" in various languages, and it was there for a few minutes. And I was like. Apple are messing this up. Oh no! Oh no! The, the broadcast isn't ready. Joe, Joe, what do we do? But it was it was very good when it started. Eventually, it, it was, and I think that's on Fox because that game was also being broadcast on on Fox. And did anyone John's... see their setup? By yeah, the way, I did, the, Graham, the studio I saw they had. Oh my god! It was I, unbelievable. I did not. I did not. It's, tell, it's did, John Strong it. and Stu Holden sitting in front of uh, what <laughs> what is like a DoorDash like tarp. Flag. It's a, just a blue tarp with DoorDash on it. And it looked like several people compared it to a college dorm room. And then several other people said that was doing a disservice to college dorm rooms. So <laughs> it uh, it was rough. To be fair to Fox, so like, why are they going to... They already weren't doing anything with these with these games for the most part. I mean, why are they going to spend more money to Don't do it when they have then. even less viewers? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I think they're expecting to get some sort of a baseline. But uh, yeah, they're cutting costs where they can, it seems. I, I was concerned, Ryan. I didn't know when that game was going to start, but I, I think it was on Fox that it started so late. Credit to Nashville, if we're running through a few games here. I thought they played very, very well here. They were the better team for pretty much the entire game, even without... MLS MVP from last year, Honey Mukhtar, starting in this match. He comes off the bench and gets a really nice assist that just carves NYCFC right on up. NYCFC, for their part, look like who we thought they were. They look like a team that doesn't have all the pieces. Tyus Magno started up top as the number nine in this game. Nick Cushing saw 45 minutes of that and decided, nope, that's not for us. And then he moved him over to the left side, kind of in the left half space, and, and shifted Diago Andrade up front. And they looked a little bit better then, but the damage was already done. I mean, when you're down 1-0 to Nashville at halftime, it's very difficult to get back into those kinds of games. NYCFC did not get back into it, and they very much look like a team that needs a couple of more pieces and a couple of more games to really figure out who they are. I love the Walker Zimmerman celebration. I think that's oh, going to be taken. It's going to take some good. beating as the celebration of the season, which I presume he was singing some sort of. It's actually a little bit of a cultural blind spot for me, other than the the big hits. I don't really know many Johnny Cash songs, but I assume he was singing a Johnny Cash song at the, at the corner flag there. So I like that celebration a lot. Yeah, you need to get more into your Johnny Cash, Graham. Did you like the Johnny Cash special kits they were wearing? The, the men in black they were this weekend. I like the story, and I think they looked a little bit worse on on the pitch, on the players, than they did in, the, in a lot of the pictures. But it's not it's not bad. It's just in a year when all all the MLS kits are. Uh, Joe, what was my line from the backfield piece again? They look like they've been designed by someone on hallucinogenics <laughs> yeah, or something yeah. like that. <laughs> An all black shirt is not my favourite, but it's, it's it's decent enough, and I like the Johnny Cash tie-in. Indeed. Uh, by the way, Atlanta, Nashville and Charlotte brought a total of 164,934 fans to attendance this weekend. Soccer in the South doing just fine. Uh, Joe, how about Atlanta? 2-1 over San Jose, wasn't it? Tiago Amalda with uh, two goals in extra time, a free kick and the uh, rather good goal from outside the box as well. That's surely got to be better than a World Cup win for him, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, beating San Jose at home or winning the World Cup with Argentina. I mean, I know which one I'd, I'd pick there. I mean, just incredible series of goals here from Almada. So they're down 1-0 heading into stoppage time. 
and he snags one in the 93rd minute, which is the equalizer, and then he snags one in the 99th minute, which is the game winner. That's never happened in MLS. A stoppage time equalizer and a stoppage time game winner. I I believe this has never happened before in Major League Soccer history. MLS also, I mean, I mentioned 99th minute. MLS is doing the World Cup thing where they're actually trying to keep track of stoppage time in a somewhat real way. So we're going to be seeing more like 95th, 96th, 97th minute. I, uh, I'll admit I'm not like super pumped for, for that. But um, I mean, it, this game made a lot of use of those extra minutes. Graham, these bangers. I mean, Almada's got to be... I mean, he was already on European teams' radars, right? When you go to the World Cup with Argentina, yeah. when you play in the World Cup, of course you're going to be there. This weekend, there's a lot of flaws with this game, and, and maybe we'll talk more about those another time. I don't think today is that day. But, I mean, the talent is so obvious. This, this guy could be, like, the next big thing and even, you know, the biggest thing that MLS has produced. Oh, absolutely. It was a fairly disjointed performance by Atlanta, but he was the one that was really, uh, him and Arujo, Arujo excuse me, um, were you. kind of the two players making things happen and nothing was really coming off. I think that Atlanta had been pretty wasteful with a lot of their shooting until Tiago Amada just steps up and finds two bangers out of nothing. The first one, I mean, the, the second goal is, I think it's a little bit further out. So technically maybe that's a little bit better, but any goal that goes in, bounces in off the underside of the bar like that is automatically better. So I watched that, that um, or I got the updates of those those goals through the, the MLS 360 show that I was very much enjoying. Uh, I think that concept will work really well for MLS. I think there's some issues that need uh, ironed out a little bit. The first 10 minutes, we seem to be looking at, at the backs of the, the four studio guests a lot instead of the screens. I don't know if, whether that was a technical issue or not. Um, but yeah, the, the excitement when these goals came in, was, 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 was I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, and Graham, I'll say, I didn't watch through the night most of the coverage. I just, I just got off after the Nashville game. But um, waking up on Sunday morning and having like little seven to eight minute highlight packages yeah. of all the games, that was pretty, pretty good too. Yeah, the recaps are really good. Um, for anyone who's struggling to find the full match replays, if you scroll down to the bottom of the page, you will see like an Apple TV logo. And then if you click on that, you will get like every single version that they have. So the Spanish language, full match, the English language, the recap. That took me a little bit of finding. And I would suggest that Apple maybe make that easier to find because that's one of the, the 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 big things for me is being able to watch matches in their entirety the next day. So I watched the, the Austin-St. Louis match in its entirety the next day but yeah the recaps are great i also enjoyed the mls wrap-up show i mean the fact that it's taken so long for mls to have a match of the day style show like that i know there's been highlights packages in the past but having you know taylor twelman and andrew Wiebe and kind of in a studio setting and running through the games a bit of analysis that i thought that was i thought it was excellent these things should be normal for mls by, by now but they haven't been but i'm very grateful we have them now yeah, the, the wrap-up show in particular is really good. If you're looking to get at least a big-picture storyline-style recap of the weekend, that's the spot for you. I, I I am probably not going to be doing much of, of watching that and watching the uh, the whip-around show just because then I, I don't actually get a feel for what's happening in the games. But, that I mean, that's just me, right? That I know it's for a much larger audience, and I'm in the minority on that one. By, by all accounts, it seems like a lot of that stuff went fairly well. The other thing... That, uh, that Apple, I think, is being made aware of by MLS is it shows you the scores when you go back into watch games. And, and so I think a number of different fans are pretty peeved that, they're, uh, that they plan to sort of just DVR it without obviously having to DVR it. And that's the thing is, I guess, people weren't aware of how to actually turn them off and all those things. So there's still some kinks and some messaging that needs to be worked out here. But on the whole, like if we're talking about the TV side of this weekend, I think there was a lot of really good stuff. Very good. And one other thing to note, on that menu that Graham mentioned, I believe you can get the local radio uh, broadcast commentary as well on that bit which is an awesome little feature too um joe how about oh, taylor go ahead I, I have a question for joe maybe maybe you're about to go there as well uh joe obviously has written extensively about major league soccer we did our previews of the east and west uh for me whenever i do like detailed preview work there's always an element of that like the first game or the first couple games I want my like the teams that I previewed to be exactly where I thought they were. A few of those were the case for me. A few of them were not. Joe, for you, were there teams that were better or worse than you expected them to be with the caveat that it's one game and lots still to be played? Uh, how did you feel about the opening weekend from that perspective? Yeah, there's kind of two. I guess I'll pick one from each conference. 
Uh, in general, Taylor, I honestly have no recollection of which teams I even previewed at this point. I've spent so much time thinking and writing about all these teams, but there are two teams, regardless of who previewed them, that I thought sort of stood out relative to expectations. One, Graham, you just mentioned them. It's St. Louis. I yeah. thought they were they looked better than I thought they were going to. And I, I've sort of been critical of the roster build. I still don't think there's a lot of top-end talent, but the players they went out and, and labeled as DPs actually looked it, right? Klaus. I thought Edward, I thought, yeah, Klaus was phenomenal. Best name in Major League that Soccer. Finish. I won't hear anything otherwise. The finish is fantastic from him in that moment. Just uh, just sort of twists up Kip Keller and, and really makes mincemeat out of him. He looked really good. He looked like a man amongst boys at times in this game <clears throat> up top for St. Louis. And then Edward Lovin in midfield as well. He's a big dude. I didn't realize how big he was. I'd watched film before coming over from the Bundesliga. He's six foot two as a central midfielder which you don't see like all that much. He he looked smooth on the ball, was very capable in the press. Not the most mobile guy, but you know, really looks like the glue and the string puller for St. Louis. They were sort of gifted some very nice moments by Austin in this yeah. match in 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 uh in almost comedic fashion at times. But <laughs> in general, I thought St. Louis was a lot better than I than I figured they were going to be coming into this year. I'll do my other one in just a second, but Graham, I know you watch this game too. Yeah, I just talking about some of the gifts and one gift in particular from this 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 game where Keller passes the ball straight to uh, Jared Stroud to score was that uh, St. Louis's second goal the in the game. Yeah. I am not sure I've ever seen a defensive mistake like that. Obviously, we've seen uh, intercepted back passes all the time, but it's not like Stroud is kind of hiding. It's not like he's out of you know he's out of sight. He's standing still right in front of Keller as he passes the ball. And I've seen some speculation that Keller, obviously Jared Stroud, Stroud used to play for Austin FC. Does Keller just kind of have a moment where he thinks he's still his teammate? I mean, I, 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 it's really, really weird. It's one of the weirdest moments from any league over the weekend. Maybe, Graham. Um, it's, maybe. it's in my group chat among friends who do not watch MLS. That's the one moment from the MLS <laughs> opening weekend that has that has transcended, which I'm not sure is what Apple and MLS was going for, but it's really, really weird. I hope, Graham, that Stroud called for the ball to Keller and yeah. it was the, the most poop house you've ever seen. Yeah. Well, the thing is, apparently they're they're uh, they're close friends. Um, so if he's done that, that is the biggest poop house so of cold. all time. So if, cold. if he's done that. <laughs> big fan, big fan. Uh, Joe, any other games you want to talk about? How about DC3, Toronto yep. 2, Benteke, uh, the aforementioned, with a late equaliser, and then the 98th minute winner from Coup de Pietro. Yeah, this is the other one I was going to get to. So Toronto, if St. Louis were better than I thought they were, Toronto were were worse than I thought they were going to be. Coming into this year, I thought Toronto had the potential to be a top two team in the East. I think I said that on on our preview show. Honestly, don't remember. But they have the pieces to be one of the best teams in Major League Soccer. That's where they could be. They also have the the floor that is like miles below, I think, any other team in this league. Their midfield is old. Their wingers are old. And, and Signe is already hurt. This year he comes out uh, in the first half of this match. And that is just a brutal start to the year for Toronto, who looked genuinely awful. They looked really, really bad. It looked like this was maybe their first game of preseason they were slow and indecisive on the ball. They struggled to create in the final third. Everything comes down to the wingers, and and it's at the expense of their balance and the attack. And defensively, they're super gappy. The midfield is old and slow. Like I just said, the wingers are old and slow. Nobody's really covering a, a ton of ground, and it leaves their fullbacks isolated in like 2v1s almost every single time down the field. They can't get pressure to the ball after they lose it. There are just so many issues with this team right now. I I knew I always knew this was something we could see Toronto fall into because of how their roster is built, because of their lack of depth. I was just a little surprised to see it so early and to see it, no offense, Taylor, against DC United, who I don't think are a very good team. Chris Durkin is starting at right side and midfield in this game. They've got a 16-year-old and a defensive midfielder in the middle of their back line. Just like a, a really makeshift team from DC United who looked roundly better than Toronto in this game. So I guess I was impressed by DC. I was extremely disappointed in Toronto uh, just a, a really brutal start to the year for Bob Bradley. Indeed. And a very good start to the MLS season, though, 1080J. Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? Are you happy? <laughs> are we? When are we doing the Charlotte bit, Ryan? Does that come later, or are we doing that now, or, or what happens there? Well, we, we can do a bit if you want. I've not got much to say apart from <laughs> I'm kind of agreeing with your assessments of the season, having watched that game now. Actually, yeah, that that's good for me. I think we can call okay. it there. Yeah. Very good. All right, yeah. More positives. Uh, things can only get better is what I'll leave that at, Joe. There it is. Let's take a quick break, shall we? When we come back, League Cup action. Man United in winning trophy shocker. Back shortly. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Manchester United 2, Newcastle nil at the Wembley Stadium. Casemiro and Marcus Rashford with the goals. Uh, Manchester United's first trophy since uh, winning the Europa League in 2017. The longest wait for a trophy for this team since 1983. Newcastle, meanwhile... 1969, the last time they picked up a trophy. Yeah, boy, yeah, boy. Apparently, over 100,000 Newcastle fans made it down to London uh, for 30,000 tickets. That doesn't quite work, but there were a lot of Geordies in London for this game. It seemed to me, Taylor, Newcastle knocked on the door a couple times in the second half, but it wasn't really in doubt this result for much of the time. Is that fair to say? I would say that's probably fair to say for a neutral. For me, it felt in doubt, even when Casemiro scores. It started to feel a little bit looser in the second half, and I started to feel better. Uh, But I think this Newcastle team has been so uh, quietly to uh, outwardly competent this season that there's always a fear that they will kind of click into gear, find a way through, and be a really difficult team to break down. Uh, I do agree with some of the narrative being that uh, direct play is a way to get at them to sort of capitalize on them being stretched a little bit too much or the back line being a little bit too high. That seems to be a thing other teams have spotlighted. It's a thing Manchester United went for regularly in this game, starting with David De Gea going long a number of times. Uh, and I, But I thought that is a testament to Eric Ten Hag getting his game plan right and getting the team right. And it seems like having everybody on board for the way they wanted to play and how they wanted to play. And and so in the end, a 2-0 win seems fair. Uh, a, a cup win for Eric Ten Hag seems especially fair. Now it's just about, you know, kicking on from there. Because it's great to win the League Cup, but it's a weird it's a weird trophy that if in two seasons it's like, well, he's won the League Cup, there's that. I, I don't know how much uh, credit that's going to give him. Though I guess Graham Potter would probably take that right now. Yeah, he takes scoring a goal right now, I think, uh, yeah. <laughs> more than anything. Uh, Graham, this was, I wouldn't call this a vintage Man United performance, but as Taylor no. said, very much got the job done. Uh, that start of the season, those Brentford, those Brighton games, seem like a long time ago for this team now, don't they? Oh, absolutely. And and, and the job that Ten Hag has done at Man United this season has been incredible. Um, and, I, and I feel a bit foolish because for years I said there wasn't one person who could come in and fix Manchester United and that was kind of old-fashioned thinking and they weren't going to find another Sir Alex Ferguson and it would need to be a complete overhaul. And then Eric Ten Hag turned up last summer um, and somehow he has wrestled control of that club and, and he kind of... I think the biggest difference on previous managers is he just has complete control uh, right now at Old Trafford and the way that Pep does at Manchester City or Klopp has or or um, I'm not sure if he still has but has had at, at Liverpool in the past and the standards have just been raised across the board from the transfers that they're making to obviously the performances on the pitch. There was, there was a moment at the end of this match on Sunday which... Um, encapsulated that perfectly how the how the standards have been raised when Casemiro and Bruno Fernandes are in a bit of an argument over yeah. a pass that Fernandes should have made um, during the game the match is over at this point Manchester United have won they're they're queuing up to if if anyone knows Wembley Stadium you go up the steps at Wembley to to lift the lift the trophy they're queuing to go up the steps and they're having a bit of an argument amongst themselves because they they should have scored more they should have won by more and that's the difference right there with with this Manchester United team. Um, I am starting to question what they can achieve this season. Um, I think if we take the very narrow time frame of the last month, and I know this is very selective, but n- nonetheless, if we do that, I think they've been the best team in England for the last month. Um, and if they can extrapolate that over the rest of the season and Man City and Arsenal continue to drop points as they have been, then 
who knows? I think they've probably given themselves a little bit of a little bit too much work to do at this stage. But it really does feel like obviously Manchester United have won trophies in the post-Ferguson age before, as you mentioned, Ryan. What was it? The Europa League there, their last trophy. Yeah, that was with Mourinho. Yeah, yes, surely that was right. Mourinho. I think he and they won, won the League Cup, Cup with Mourinho and Van Gaal yeah. won a, an FA Cup as well. But that feels very different to, to now. This kind of feels like the start of a pretty special team. And yes, that's not to say that it's guaranteed they're going to be, go on and become that team. They have to get transfers right. They have to continue on this trajectory. But I wouldn't rule them out of anything this season and beyond this season. This is easily, comfortably, the most positive the outlook has been for United in the, in the post-Fergie time. I mean, that's a low bar, Graham, but point accepted. It is indeed. Yeah. <laughs> it is. When you look at what he's done, though, this season, Eric Ten Hag... I think getting Jaden Sancho like back to playing and back focused on football after like personal uh, issues, I think that that's a really positive sign that like there hasn't just been get him out the door, get him on loan, we'll figure it out from there. That they've kind of reincorporated him back into the squad. Um, benching Ronaldo after the second game, benching Harry Maguire after the second game, and then sort of handling the Ronaldo situation the way he did, so that now he is gone. Aaron Wan-Bissaka suddenly being a critical player when it seemed like he was going to be moved on. Luke Shaw never fully seeming like the left-back United wanted. Now they've got him to be a left-center-back, and that seems to work, but then he can still play left-back if you need. Casemiro becoming the leader of the team. Even little things like going way back to uh, after that Brentford loss, you mentioned Ryan making the team run 13.8 kilometers each he ran that himself that was the distance they were outworked in that game it just feels like he has ticked a lot of the boxes gotten things mostly right in his tenure and and Graham I hear you that like maybe it is Eric Ten Hag who's the difference maker I also wonder if you had to have enough of those failures uh in uh in management to give him more control to give him more say by all accounts the Anthony transfer is basically him just being like we're making that happen make it happen no matter what uh and that's why they end up spending 100 million on him I wonder if other managers would have been able to have that sort of pressure on the board the way Eric Ten Hag does so it does seem like it's right place right time and the club seems to be responding very much so Taylor I don't know if you saw on social media the picture of Eric Ten Hag and Fergie sharing a bottle of red wine in an empty restaurant after the game. That looked not. pretty, yeah. It's a good it's a good image. You should look it up, Tay-Tay. It, it, I do love that uh, they, they, they wheel out uh, Sir Alex Ferguson whenever, whenever there's the big game for him to sort of be there enjoying himself in a way that he absolutely never would have been uh, on the sideline were he in charge. But nice to see him having a good time. Nice to see him still enjoying a nice bottle of red. Uh, and I look forward to Manchester United winning the Europa League and then Jose Mourinho sort of... <laughs> Coily well, saying, I, "Yeah, I already did that one season. It's not that hard. It's no big deal." <laughs> was it was it also nice to see uh, Avram Glazer enjoying himself at this game as well? His first game for what no. four or five years? No, no I didn't enjoy that so much, Taylor. No, 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 I did not. <laughs> I, I don't really enjoy anything when it comes to Manchester United ownership at this point. Uh, didn't love the reports that they were being sold to Qatar or Saudi Arabia. Really don't love the reports that the Glazers might stick around. Uh, and I did have a feeling, like, or did have that weird. Uh, what it is to be a Manchester United fan these days of like, it's great they're winning, but also if they lost, would the Glazers want to sell them more? It's tough to know for sure, uh, but who knows what will happen there. All I know is they have some silverware, and I very much enjoyed Casemiro and Bruno arguing it full time because it was the perfect combination of clearly they were both kind of into it and advocating their case, but I think it ended with them both kind of smiling and like, ah, you're crazy and walking away, which is the, I think, the appropriate conclusion you're looking for as opposed to the pep I will be screaming at you as the medal is put on your <laughs> neck because you didn't pass the ball two feet to the right. A couple of post-game uh, moments I liked as well. Harry Maguire going up the steps, the aforementioned steps to get the trophy, getting the Shameless. pants on the back and getting some cheers. It felt like he needed that. He really needed that. And also, he didn't deserve it, though. Well, he barely, it, it came on for like five minutes yeah, at the end. But still, he, he was, he's you know leading the pack, going up the stairs, whatever. Um, <laughs> that was quite amusing. There, there was reports that he blanked uh, Avram Glazer when they walked past him to get the trophy I didn't really see that because Glazer didn't like extend his hand and get blanked like that or anything but whatever but the other thing I wanted to mention he didn't do was, like the too slow yeah <laughs> <That's Hey. accent. laughs> I think I would have loved that actually <laughs> that would have been excellent that would have been excellent um, the I don't know if, if this has been done before Graham the trophy lift the, the, the camera shot was underneath 
and it was underlit and there was a green lighting behind. It looked it kind of really demonic. It looked, it reminded Halloween. me, I don't know if you remember the image of um, the former president when he met with the Saudi Arabian um, leaders and he, the they were orb. holding that globe thing <laughs> yeah. and they were underlit from underneath and there was this green tinge behind it. I got the same vibes from watching Man United collect their trophy. Uh, it looked like they were on a theme park ride or something. Oh, do you know why that happened, Ryan? What, the Man United won the game, so they got to lift the trophy? No, it's because they had they had to share the tarp with Fox. So Fox got the blue <laughs> part of the tarp, Manchester United got the green part, and so they were shooting at the same time. It got a little awkward. Makes sense. Makes yeah. perfect sense to me. Uh, anyway, congratulations to Manchester United. Oh, that one came out of my mouth a little difficult but hey I, we, got, we were discussing it. this before we started recording the dynamic of this podcast is that all of our teams are tragic and it, that dynamic is, is going to shift if one of them is the best in the world so i am I'm, not I'm sure for that. i am not sure that celebrating the league cup is what elite teams truly do my friend so i think we've got a way to go yeah. before if, uh, if, normalcy if is restored if there's one thing that draws sympathy from lower league fans, it's uh, fans of big clubs complaining about winning major pieces of silverware. Yeah. Or trophy <laughs> droughts being six years long, Graham. That's yeah, honestly I as well. I mean, that wasn't me complaining about that one. I'll just say that anytime you're winning a trophy in February, it just doesn't feel sort of like we're all very cold and wearing scarves as we hoist this trophy. You're supposed to list, lift tro- trophies in May, unless you're Major League Soccer. Then December yep. is fine. Uh, speaking of um, being very cold and lifting rubbish trophies, we've got an old firm game to speak about later. Also a League Cup, but we'll get to that shortly. But first, why don't we turn our attention to Tottenham 2, Chelsea nil. There's some tragedy for us there. Uh, Ollie Skip and Harry came with the goals. The first win over Chelsea at Tottenham's new stadium, this was. Um, Graham, the two goals weren't very good from Chelsea's perspective. The Skip goal, struggling to clear the lines. The Kane goal, struggling to clear the lines, leaving Harry Kane open at the far post. Not great. No, not ideal at all. Um, particularly the first one where Enzo Fernandez, the 120 million euro man, uh, kind of n- nips the ball off. Uh, it was Kepa, right? He was in goal for Chelsea yeah. in this game. Uh, kind of nips the ball off his, uh, I was going to say his toes, but out of his gloves, I suppose. And then clears it straight to Oliver Skip, who bangs one in the back of the net from the edge of the box. His first ever goal for Tottenham Hotspur. I, I really don't know what to what else to say about Chelsea at the moment because every match is almost the same right now where a lot of their possession play is nice, they have lots of the ball, but the, the final bit is missing clearly and they fail to score. And, and Chelsea have now uh, scored just six goals in the Premier League since the start of November, which is the lowest number of any team in the Premier League. All 20 teams and Chelsea, who have spent £600 million in the last two transfer windows, have scored the fewest number of goals in that time frame, which is is remarkable and mind-blowing. And there's some weird sort of bad luck going on where they are underperforming their expected goals. But nonetheless, even if they were they were meeting their expected goals, which I think is about 13 in 11 games, it's it's still not really what you would expect for a team like, like Chelsea. I think Tottenham had a pretty easy job of Holding, holding them at arm's length. You could see that Spurs were set up in a back five with a compact four in front of them. And basically the, pro- the approach was to force Chelsea out into the wide areas and then prevent them from playing through that. And the reason I know that is because Oliver Skip spoke about this af- on uh, Sky Sports after the match and uh, pretty much uh, detailed that plan. And he name dropped Yao Felix as well as the player that Spurs had been trying to stop with denying him any sort of space to get in between the lines. And, and it was an, effe- an effective game plan I would say it's a simple game plan. At the moment, that's kind of how easy it is to stop Chelsea. Um, I am concerned about Graham Potter. Chelsea continue to back Potter in briefings to the media, but I do wonder if he is talking himself into the sack because some of his comments after this match were maybe a little bit too honest. There was one line in particular where he said, I haven't done enough at this club to have too much faith, meaning from the owners. Don't say that, man. Don't, don't, don't give them an excuse <laughs> to get rid of you. And, and he does this thing as well where he's asked about the match and he gives an answer like an analyst and he says what the opposition team did well and why they won. And, and look, there's nothing in that that's necessarily wrong. It, it shows a good understanding of the game. But I can imagine how Chelsea fans are becoming a bit frustrated where it feels a little bit like they don't have someone fighting their corner right now in, in Graham Potter. He seems a little bit resigned at the moment to how things are going, and that is that is concerning. Yeah, Graham, you mentioned they're not 
not knowing exactly what to make of this Chelsea team or what to say about them at this point, I think I finally figured it out. I, I think I finally figured it out. This team is just broken. I think this team is, I think psychologically, I think there are other elements besides all the nitty-gritty tactical stuff that I like to analyze. You mentioned the XG. I, I think there have been some positive signs in terms of the creation of, of chances over the last few games. Not, not in this game. I, I don't see any belief. I don't see any ability in this team to replicate a quality performance from match to match. This team feels like they don't believe that Graham Potter can do the job. And at this point, Graham, from all the things you're saying there that, that Potter's talking about after the game, I'm, I'm not really sure we have evidence to believe that Graham Potter thinks he can do this job. I, I think this team is defeated. I think I, Henry Bushnell had this tweet after uh, this weekend set of results. I believe, shoot, I should have had this pulled up. This is amateur hour for me. He said they're closer to the bottom of the table right now, Chelsea, than they are to the Champions League spots. They're closer to the bottom of the Premier League table than they are to the top four. That is absolutely absurd. Like, like this team has fully and completely fallen apart. And I think we can see that more and more every single weekend, whether it's psychologically, which I think, you know, is playing a factor here, or whether it's just with them getting the tactics wrong. We've seen both at, at different points in the season. I, I, I just, I, I can't see this team really piecing the pieces back together anytime soon. I had a buddy once who decided he was going to get really into scuba diving. So he bought like very expensive gear, expensive equipment, uh, including like the flippers and everything. And then just tried to walk into the ocean to to go snorkeling (laughs) and basically just got toppled by the waves. And that kept happening over and over again because I guess there's a way you're supposed to do it. And he did not know that way of doing it. And that really is Chelsea. They spent a lot of money on nice materials to make things work. But ultimately, it's them getting knocked over by waves standing back up and then sort of in an uninspired way thinking like, okay, well, maybe if we try this and we try that, maybe this time the wave won't knock us over. And then they get knocked over again and they stand right back up and we just keep repeating. It seems like the uh, the parts haven't really come together uh, as yet. And really in this game, the thing that stood out to me, aside from just like some of the goals being individual mistakes, it's kept us filling that ball and then it is... Uh, uh, as a is just giving that ball like right back to Tottenham to see what happens. It, it was also Spurs uh, like being much more dynamic in their movement, much more electric on the ball, and Chelsea doing that thing I've talked about previously of like if if I don't get beat, then it's not my fault. So if they cross it and somebody scores, I, like I defended the cross enough that he didn't get by me. That's good enough. There's Chelsea like every single player will step and and get within a couple yards of the person they're supposed to, but then they don't close them down. They don't really put them under pressure. It's just sort of it's not going through the motions, but it's not quite like it's it's doing the dress rehearsal, but not being up for the game when that game is definitely a bit more than a dress rehearsal at this point. Graham Potter not fired at the time of uh, recording, which you'll see by the time of publication. But uh, hmm, interesting situation there. What- Interest. One thing, sorry, just jump in, Ryan. One thing I put in the running order, um, and this dawned on me over the weekend watching this game, the Conte Tuchel handshake fight that happened was this season. How is that this season? That is unbelievable. I would have put money on that being last season. (laughs) Time is a flat circle, Graham. We did Uh, get a nice little fight in this one, though, and somehow there were red cards given and then taken away. That that was maybe that was weird. That one. That was. The, 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 the lesser spotted rescinded red card. Mm, wonderful to see. Yeah, yes, um, I like the Guardian minute by minute. Uh, I read that one and I enjoyed one of the comments at the end being the main question now is how haunted will Graham Potter look in the post-match interview? <laughs> the answer was very. And then with this one, uh, it was sent off and then set back on uh, for Hakim Zayek, who does, <laughs> I guess, come back on uh, to not much effect. Indeed. Um, Christian Cellini, by the way, 100% record as Spurs caretaker in Antonio absence. Yeah. Uh, secured their Champions League qualification, beat Man City, won London derbies against West Ham and Chelsea. And uh, Graham, I imagine there are Tottenham fans saying, Antonio, you know, take your time in Italy. You need some recovery here. Don't rush. Yeah. I, I'm not sure we should mention that record to Graham Potter, who is probably looking along the site, along the touchline, and going, "Come on, who is this guy? <laughs> you know, 100% record, and I can't score a goal." <laughs> you lost to that guy? Oh dear. Anyway, um, <laughs> why don't we have a quick uh, look around the houses in the Premier League while we're at it? G Leicester nil, uh, Arsenal one, Arsenal two points clear at the top, courtesy of a Martinelli goal here. He pitted to get injured while scoring it a little bit. Yeah, I don't think that was 
too serious actually I, I didn't watch this game live he he was fine right yeah, I he think he fine. recovered after yeah. the goal um, but yeah this is one of those games you need to win if you want to be champions uh, cliche alert there but I think it's true to a certain extent Arsenal weren't at their best but they did uh, they did do a decent job of containing Leicester who were missing James Madison so as soon as that news came through before the match you kind of got a sense that maybe they wouldn't be able to to, to hurt Arsenal that much it was interesting that Leandro Trossard started through the middle um, that was something new from Arteta I think it helped Arsenal control the game and then the other January signing Jorginho I think he's getting better with every match that he's playing for Arsenal um, we highlighted his role in the Aston Villa game last week obviously scored an important goal there his passing is pretty useful but I think just in terms of contr- having the control or giving Arsenal the control he has a useful figure to have around uh, yeah but Trossard is the one that stood out from me he had a, a, a goal disallowed for a marginal uh, was it an offside or a foul I can't quite remember um, and then he was shifted out to the left and Martinelli put through the middle for 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 the winning goal so just having that a, another intelligent player to have in the front line uh, Arteta knows seems to know how to use him well so I think that was I mean it's still early days of course but right now it looks like a pretty shrewd bit of business by Arsenal to get him in during January Bournemouth 1, Man City 4, City staying on Arsenal's tail after dropping a few points back, uh, what was that, last weekend against Forest. Um, Bournemouth in the relegation zone, Graham. And that's where they will stay until the end of the season when they drop into the championship. A e. uh, slight improvement from Bournemouth in recent weeks, but this was, uh, I think, this was a reality check for them against Manchester City. The big takeaway from City fr- fr- from this match was Phil Foden being back in the team and the difference that he made. I think Pep, Pep Guardiola should just play Phil Foden in more matches. To be honest, I think that is a solution to a lot of their problems, particularly the the, the Erling Haaland problem, which obviously we have discussed a lot this season. How do you get him involved? In the game, how do you make the the most of him getting in behind? And I think just having someone else willing to get in behind and draw some of the attention away from Haaland and that player is Foden, that's what he did in this game. I think that helped. So I expect we will see... Pep seems to do this thing where... A lot of other managers will rotate and and uh, chop and change their team from match to match over the course of the season. Pep seems to do this thing of like phases of the season where he starts Riyad Mahrez for 10 games in a row, then he'll bring in Grealish for 10 games. I expect now for the next you know number of matches we'll see Foden in that City team because he looked very good in this match. Foden at left back, understood. Um, <laughs> uh, Crystal Palace nil, Liverpool nil in what was, Taylor, the warm-up pre-game for Nashville versus NYCFC on Saturday, of course. Uh, more Liverpool sloppiness here. Yep, yep. Uh, uh, 0.7 XG for uh, Crystal Palace, 0.9 for Liverpool. Not a ton of shots, a lot of passes for Liverpool. A very angry Hamas Milner after the game talking about Basically, just we know what we need to do. We're not doing it well enough. This team is not coming together. We have to hold ourselves accountable. A lot of the things that you expect to hear from a club that are struggling and a player uh, who at 37 is definitely an elder statesman for them. Uh, One thing that I thought was interesting from this one was the continued scrutiny of Trent Alexander-Arnold. There's the questions about his positioning, about some of his decision-making, about his effectiveness as a defensive defender, basically, versus an attacking defender. He subs out in the 71st minute. Uh, for, I think it's Fabinho who comes on for him. And that's not really a thing I expect to see when it comes to Liverpool or their their fullbacks. And it's a, it's a random one, but it made me think about how Trent Alexander-Arnold feels like a player who just needs a change of scenery. Uh, I have heard previously that he is not one who loves the intensity of the Klopp approach, who loves the screaming and training and being kind of berated. And he, there are certain players who I think have that, like, uh, like you're yelling at me, I'm going to motivate like that motivates me to go out and prove you wrong and be the best player I can be. I don't think that's Trent Alexander-Arnold. And I just think about him playing for somebody like Carlo Ancelotti or getting a transfer to Real Madrid if Carlo Ancelotti were to stay there. And I just think he's such a skilled attacker. He's so good on the ball. He's so good with this service. Um, he can do a good enough job defensively, but I wonder if just a change of scenery is what he needs and maybe a few other Liverpool players need. It feels like a team that just needs just more of a shakeup than they're getting. I don't think it's time to worry. I don't think it's time to get rid of Klopp or anything like that, but I think we just continue to see, similar to Chelsea in some ways, those kind of familiar signs of a team that isn't quite at the level it needs to be or has been in the past. Yeah, Taylor, you were talking about Real Madrid for for TIA. I was thinking about Barcelona, so we were both in La Liga. I think uh, maybe a place where he'll have more freedom a little bit and I mean he's I think he's had a lot of freedom at Liverpool but I can totally see where you're coming from on the defensive side of things it's really not the strong suit of his game playing in a league where he can be on a team that is even more dominant than Liverpool were at the height of their powers relative to the rest of the teams in the Premier League 
I, I think he would like break La Liga and at least become, you know, a, maybe the best fullback we've seen there since Dani Alves and Marcelo. Barcelona, I think, in particular would be fun. They they definitely didn't lose this weekend and definitely didn't drop out of the Europa League earlier last uh, week either. That totally didn't is that happen. Is the best team in Europe, Joe? Uh, the, I, I, Graham, I don't know why you would even posit that. I don't know why you would, you would <laughs> no, think about saying United. that. But Barcelona haven't won the League Cup, so we know. Correct. Taylor, see, Taylor, you're with it. You're with it. Yeah, I got you. Uh, I got you but I, I am now fascinated, Taylor, by this idea of Alexander-Arnold going to Spain. I think he would be really, really good there. He just He has all the familiar symptoms of a player who will... If he were to be sold, we'll go somewhere, and then within six months, all we'll be getting is articles about how he, he's Correct. maybe the best defender in the world, Correct. and how important he is, and how good he is. And we all forgot about Trent Alexander-Arnold. I think he's still <laughs> quite good. Indeed. Uh, lest we forget, by the way, Barcelona, zero SEC championships to the name as well. So True. All hard, to argue with, hard to argue with that one. <laughs> uh, West Ham 4, Nottingham Forest nil. a Declan Rice banger in this one. Danny Ings getting his first goals for West Ham as well. West Ham jumping out of the relegation zone, jumping in. Everton with a 2-0 loss to Aston Villa. Uh, Villa, Graham, turning around a three-game losing streak to beat a bad Everton side. Yeah, and Everton were bad in this game. Uh, if they go down, it will be because there's just not enough goals in that team, particularly with uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin out again for them. Right now, they did have chances, particularly in the first half, but... They just don't have anyone kind of like Ollie Watkins, I guess, um, for Aston Villa, who's now scored in five straight games in, in, in the Premier League. They don't have anyone that you can count on to even get into kind of double figures for, for goals. I am still positive-ish on Everton's chances of avoiding relegation because I just I just cannot envisage a Sean Dyche team getting relegated. I know before people say Burnley went down, he got sacked before they got relegated, so it's not on his record. Um, so, but yes, yeah, un- un- undoubtedly this was a this was a bad match for them. Thumbs up, however, to Leeds United, who continued the theme of this season's relegation fight, just being a series of teams getting new manager bounces, uh, because Yavi Garcia was appointed the new Leeds United manager last week, and uh, they get a a 1-0 win over Southampton in his first match in charge. I think it was quite clear that Garcia wanted Leeds to play with a little bit more control and get the fullbacks forward, Junior Firpo getting the winning goal in this game. And honestly, that is that is quite a simplistic uh, game plan for Leeds to have. A bit more possession, get the fullbacks high, but that, w- that was enough to make a, make a difference for Leeds. So things looking more positive for, for them until the next club gets a new manager bounce and undoubtedly they fall back into the bottom three. Indeed. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll go around the rest of the continent, including but not limited to the Madrid derby. Back shortly. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willingly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Atletico Madrid. No, it was Real, was Real Madrid the home side? I've forgotten. Yeah, they, they were. were. They were. 1-1. They had the big canvas behind the goal. That's how you know it's the Bonabeo at the moment. Uh, 1-1 this game was between Atleti and Real, before I keep rambling. Uh, pretty significant for the title race, this one. Uh, Graham, how much did we enjoy this one? Well, it was significant until Barcelona lost the next day to uh, Almeria, <laughs> and Real Madrid actually gained a point on, uh, on Barcelona. The gap is seven points. I read over the weekend that no team has ever come back from seven points behind at this stage of the season to win the La Liga title. So if that uh, if that trend continues, then Barcelona are pretty safe. Um, and it feels like Ancelotti, in a sense, has kind of given up a little bit on the La, on yeah. the La Liga title race because he, he rotates his team pretty heavily for this match. Uh, Camavinga, Modric and uh, Chiumini all on the bench, Asensio and Ceballos came into the team and I think that probably contributed to a bit of a disjointed performance it wasn't it certainly wasn't like the performance against Liverpool in the Champions League a a few days earlier obviously Atletico Madrid being the opponent was a factor that plays into their hands they want it to be a disjointed match and also the fact that this was Real Madrid's 17th game in just 50 days they've played 17 games in 2023 and Ancelotti did highlight that after the match that that is definitely a factor in the inconsistency that they're they're suffering from at the moment. Um, the one big highlight for Real Madrid was Alvaro Rodriguez. Um, so I wrote about him for Optus Sport last week. He is a, a teenage Uruguayan striker. He's come into the first team in the last couple of weeks. Um, and what an impact he's made. So last weekend, he was on the pitch for about five minutes. And in those five minutes, he sets up Vinicius for a goal. That goal's disallowed. And then two minutes later, he does exactly the same thing and exactly the same motion and, and attacking action, sets up Asensio for a goal. And then in this match, he comes off the bench. Um, he got a little bit longer. He got about 15 minutes and he flicked home the, the headed equaliser from a Luka Modric corner. And I just think he gives Real Madrid a, something a little bit different. They've lacked any sort of deputy for Karim Benzema in that position all season until now. That has been a problem when he's been missing. They've lost to Real Mallorca. They've lost to Rayo Vallecano. And with Rodriguez, you can just play around him a little bit. He's got a physical threat. We obviously saw his ability in the air. And Ancelotti's already said that he's going to be a really important player between now and the end of the season. So maybe someone we haven't heard of, but I think you're going to get used to hearing his name for Real Madrid. And Graham, the technique on that header, like you mentioned the aerial ability, it's such a such a savvy finish as well. The ball comes across and Rodriguez is, is almost coming towards it and he just kind of glances it into the back of the net. The technique there is so difficult to get the timing right, to get enough contact on the ball, but not too much that you're going to overpower it. Like that is, that's an extremely difficult finish in a key moment for such a young player. I'm totally with you that Rodriguez is an impressive talent. That that contribution and the glimpses that we've seen, and I I read that piece that you read about him as well. I, I think he is an impressive young player and I'm really excited to see more of him. Indeed. I was about to dismiss Joe both goals as being near identical angled headers inside the post from set pieces but you're right the technique on that Alvaro one was well the first one's good as well yeah Yeah. they're both good they're both as a good header yeah um very good indeed uh Angel Correa with a straight red in this one for nearly killing Antonio Rudiger with a slight soft elbow Graham I didn't think that was a red card and that was one of one of the points that Atleti made after the match was I think they've had a red card at the Bernabeu in each of their last three games there so it kind of feels like they prepare for playing with 10 men more than Atletico Madrid normally prepare for playing with 10 men. I I picture them like complaining about that on camera while Jose Jimenez is just like punching someone in the background, just like has someone <laughs> on the ground. Hitting. Like we have no idea why we have this reputation. Yeah, I have no idea why that would happen, Atleti. Yep. Uh, Taylor, how about we head ourselves to the Bundesliga? Yeah, Bayern yeah. Munich 3, Union Berlin 0. Bayern saying... 
we, we've got this title thing covered now, Union. Thanks for trying, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll stick at the top and Dortmund equal at the top with them at the moment on points. That's kind of what they said a little bit. I like that Bayern Munich started this game off. Graham, uh, I'll be honest, I saw your notes on this game before I watched this game and they did inform a little bit, but you were not wrong when you pointed out that Bayern Munich waited, I think, all of eight minutes to have every single outfield player within 30 <laughs> yards of the Union goal. They were not messing around, Bayern Munich. They really suffocated Union from the jump. Uh, and I think especially the second goal, uh, I, I clocked it because it was just the definition of like ruthlessness. Uh, 39-29, Renault, the uh, goalkeeper for Union, kicks long. 39-32, Delict uh, wins that header. He outworks Jordan Pifok to win that 50-50 header. Not taking a shot at Pifok because he had a pretty thankless job in this one. Two seconds later, the header goes to Musiala. He lifts it <laughs> over his head, uh, and then in goes Coman to score at 39-40. So it takes 11 seconds from the goalkeeper having the ball, kicking it all the way up the pitch, uh, from him having the ball at his feet to him picking the ball out of the backup. Ball out of the net is about 13 seconds uh, it's quite a comprehensive play from Bayern Munich and pretty effective at that. And it's it's hilarious as well. It, I mean, hilarious and unfortunate for Union Berlin because, you know, it's not even as, as if they're playing out of the back, right? It's not even as if they're trying to play through Bayern's pressure. They're trying to build and really create something. No, I mean, they're just, they're hoofing it long, right? They're yep. hoofing it long to their big boy striker up top, trying to hopefully catch some space in midfield that they can then play another direct ball into the final third. And, and they can't even have that in this game, right? It's it's not like Bayern press and win the ball high. Union Berlin were never going to let that happen in this game. But even when they try to hit it long to minimize the damage that Bayern can do to, to make them cover more ground, Bayern Munich, before they get to goal, I mean, they, they still can't get anywhere. It's I, I'm so bummed about this result. I'm not surprised because Bayern Munich has been the better team over Union Berlin all season long. The title race is also not, not over either. Dortmund are, are level on point. So there is still intrigue here, and it is still one of the... Well, I mean, actually, we have we have a couple of good title races when you factor in the Premier League. It, it, there's a lot of intrigue still in this in this Bundesliga title race. But I will say, Bayern Munich did a pretty thorough job of just squarely kicking Union Berlin out the window. I mean, three 0 seventy percent possession for Bayern Munich. They dominated the shots category. They dominated the expected goals. They dominated where the game was being played. This this was a rude awakening for Union Berlin. I think. One of the moments that got me, uh, Morton Thursby, or Thorsby gets a yellow card uh, in the first half in the 33rd minute. I think it's on Musiala. And it's one of those where he's just trying to professionally foul him to stop the counterattack from happening. Except he can't bring him down and he can't bring him down. And it ends up being this just like sort of gentle to mild assault for like 25 yards until eventually he just like kind of piggybacks him uh and then the play stops and he gets the yellow and Thorsby's response was sort of like it's not my fault like you could have called the foul 20 yards ago I did what I had to do here and just that like even Union trying to foul Bayern to stop a play from happening still required like a five second struggle and Bayern able to carry the ball another 20 yards forward it just felt very representative of how up for this one the Bavarians were uh, title race very much alive in Germany not so much in Italy uh, <laughs> Empoli nil Napoli 2 another routine win for Napoli here they went 18 points clear on Saturday evening and they stayed 18 points clear thanks to Inter's <laughs> business the following day uh, Osman with his 19th goal of the season here he scored in his last 8 Serie A games and this game was followed up as I mentioned by uh, Inter losing 1-0 at Bologna the biggest moment for Bologna since Spaghetti Bolognese was invented arguably or maybe <laughs> oh Indeed, since no, I, I, that's wrong because it's the biggest moment for Bologna since last season when they also beat Inter and also uh, stopped them winning the title. Then, yeah, maybe a little bit of a, a bogey team for Inter. The, in, in, in terms of Bologna season, I know that's not where the focus is here, but the turnaround that they've had in their season from uh, you know Mahal, um, Sinisa Mihalovic uh, leaving in September, they were in a terrible run then, and Thiago Mota's come in, and they're now sitting in, in seventh place in the Serie A table, and PSG are apparently having a look at him. He's the guy that if uh, if Christoph Gaultier leaves before the end of the season, apparently it's Thiago Mota that's kind of been lined up for that job. So they, they are in, in good form, Bologna. Inter Milan, they're difficult to read at the moment. Obviously, they were... They were uh, decent enough in the Champions League. We talked about them last week, um, but consistency has been a problem, even though they have been in better form in 2023. But yeah, Napoli just completely unstoppable, as you say, Ryan, 18 points clear. At their current rate, they will beat Juventus' record for the most points in a Serie A season. 
just give them the trophy already so that they can start that party in Naples because that party is going to last a month anyway. So let's just give them a, a head start on that. Yes, indeed. Let's do that. couple more leagues to focus on. Uh, why don't we talk about PSG, by the way. Messi and Mbappe getting big, uh, significant milestone goals over the weekend in Neymar's absence. Um, I think, is it his sister's birthday weekend this weekend or was that last must weekend? Must be, must be. It's around this time of year. Either way, Graham. Yeah, he's been injured at this time of year. I can't remember what date it was. I saw it on Twitter. Like, um, I think it's 10 years. I think his sister... Yeah, it's like every, he's been injured at this point of the of the season for every season for the last like five years or something. It's longer. It's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. But anyway, um, this was the match that I watched on Sunday night, the Le Classique between Marseille and PSG, and the football in this match was ridiculous. It was circus football at time at times with. Uh, Mbappe setting up Messi and then Messi setting up Mbappe and there were <laughs> yeah. flicks and tricks and there was one goal where I think it's Messi scoops a pass over the top of the Marseille defence the and then Mbappe meets it full on the volley from a tight angle and and I think that's the second goal and I know PSG are a mess and it really does feel like they're on the brink of maybe sacking their manager when they go out of the Champions League um, but they do have some decent players and this this was a reminder of that it was very entertaining to watch yeah and, and- Graham, sorry, Ryan, that, that goal you just mentioned, the Messi scoop to Mbappe, I, I, I actually laughed out loud at this one when I saw it first on Twitter. So it's it's Fabian Ruiz driving forward into the attacking half for PSG on a counterattack. And he, he drives forward, then he gets the ball to Messi, and uh, or he gets the ball and then it ends up at Messi's feet. And Ruiz is still like moving around in the attack, trying to find space or whatever. Like he's still involved in the play as, as if the moment wasn't always going to be. Messi just chipping it over to Mbappe. It kind of feels like a pickup basketball game where there's two players that are really good and one player that's like slightly less good and everyone knows it. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm still here kind of trying. And Messi and Mbappe are just totally playing a two-man game. I, I could not believe how strong the connection was between those two players. It, it made me think back to the Champions League where we see Neymar and Messi both start in, in the last match in round of 16. What was that, two weeks ago now? I don't honestly don't remember. It, it just feels like the obvious fit, and it's helpful that Gattier is being sort of forced into this. The obvious fit is Messi and Mbappe up top to give you some sort of structure with Mbappe running and beyond. Messi pulling some of the strings, maybe a player like Fabian Ruiz <laughs> adding a third man into the attack at times. I don't know what that's going to look like. But yeah, this, this game was truly wild, and Messi and Mbappe are, are out of this world. Yeah, Messi getting Messi, Messi getting to 700 club goals for Barcelona and PSG with this one. Mbappe with 200 goals for PSG, it says here. Graham, um, I mentioned Let's... earlier there was a Scottish League Cup between Celtic and Rangers. Very quickly, please. We've all got other places to be. Scotland stuff now. Go on. Uh, Celtic won because of the better team. And that's essentially <laughs> how this one panned out. I would say it was a low quality match. Uh, old firm derbies. Can be like that, where it's about crunching tackles and making it a bit of a scrap, but the pitch was terrible in this game. Uh, just another thing that makes Hamden Park a national embarrassment. But as I say, Celtic just far too strong for Rangers at the moment. There's a talent difference, there's a difference in intensity and match fitness, and they've got a better manager as well. So I think as long as Postacoglu is at Celtic, I think it's going to be difficult for Rangers. And as long as CCV is, is at Celtic yeah, as me, well. Yes. So, so people often, Nobody obviously wants to hear about, <laughs> about how Celtic are the best and how we own a they're going to win and they don't have to try that hard. Let's talk about the best defender in the world, Graham. Come on. Okay, so I obviously play this up a little bit. I think CCV was my first pick. Remember we did the, yes, the, did. the draft for the Patreon? He was my, my first pick. I maybe wouldn't have uh, I wouldn't have picked him first <laughs> two, in actuality. Two people said life. that you won because of that move. So for what it's yes. worth. Graham knows how to please the crowd, baby. Indeed I do. That's what that was all about. Um, yeah, so maybe me talking about CCV so often is, is uh, designed to please the crowd, as Joe says. But genuinely, he had another excellent game here. He's just so unbelievably consistent. I would think he'll be on the shortlist again for Player of the Year this season. He might even be the front runner. I see a lot of Celtic fans saying that now. And at this point, I think it's clear he's the he's the best defender that we've had in Scottish football since Virgil Van Dijk. That there's no no competition whatsoever. Um, I think some Celtic fans believe not that he's better than Virgil Van Dijk. I need to clarify here because I did get a couple of tweets about this when I mentioned it last week. He's not better than Liverpool Virgil Van Dijk, but some Celtic fans think Celtic CCV is better than Celtic Virgil Van Dijk. If that makes any sense, he is he is having an, another incredible season um, and I would very much hope that after Celtic he goes and tests himself in the Premier League again because I think he's ready for it 
There we go. We've exceeded our Scotland quota for another episode. <laughs> Last but not least, Taylor, um, the Turkish Super League made global headlines mm-hmm. uh, this past weekend for some uh, some events at Besiktas. Yeah, uh, Besiktas fans throwing uh, toys onto the pitch in the 14th minute, I believe it was, or it, it corresponded with the uh, the minute that the earthquake first struck. 4.17 on the clock, the time the first earthquake hit. Uh, fans throwing thousands and thousands and thousands of toys on the pitch to then be donated uh, to children in the affected areas. Uh, there's a great video taken by drone of a drone just kind of flying around the edges of the pitch as the, the stuffed animals are flying in. It's a, it's a pretty great moment. Credit to Besiktas. I think they've done this previously when there were earthquakes in the mm. past, in like 2010 or 2011. Still uh, a pretty lovely gesture from then for Antalya Spor, who were definitely impacted by the earthquakes. Yeah, it's a reminder of how football can be a, a mm-hmm. force for good. Uh, I also wish I'd seen all those big burly fans on the way to the game carrying like life-sized uh, pink panthers. So, this <laughs> That's is what I wanted to see. <laughs> I think there was a group organizing. There were a few. So I think there was like some of them just handed out as people got there. But Graham, to your point, I did notice in the close-up a lot of the same sort of Besiktas stuffed animal that I have to believe that you can buy for cheap in the club store. And it does feel like a few people were like, oh, I forgot to bring the toy. Uh, I'm going to the club shop real quick. And they bought the cheapest one they could. Mm. But still, a nice stuffed animal to be thrown out of the pitch. And I do know that Besiktas is one of the most widely supported clubs in Turkey, not just in the city of Istanbul. So uh, that might appeal to some kids uh, around the country for sure. There had to be at least one big bearded fan with like a Powerpuff girl under each arm walking to the game. (laughs) At least one. I I feel like I know that guy, if I'm being honest. (laughs) Is it you? Uh, It is not, but he's he's very much uh, my my Turkish football mentor. uh, Very nice. Yeah, very nice indeed. And it's cute, Taylor, that you think there is a cheap item in a club's store in the stadium. I'm not sure that's cheapish. The case. Yeah. Cheapish. It's all relative, I suppose. But very, very good gesture there from uh, the Besiktas fans in that game. Let us wrap up the weekend review. Joe Lowry, a pleasure as always having you, sir. Right back at you, Ryan. And I hope Charlotte win next weekend. Thanks, me too. St. Louis, the big one in St. Louis, where I don't think we will, but we shall one. see. Graham Rutherford, thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Taylor Rockwell, pleasure as always, good sir. It's the new El Trafico, Charlotte St. Louis. Get ready. Yeah, the something corridor. I don't know what it is. New <laughs> franchise derby. We'll figure it out. Anyway, listener, thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. Bye.